favorite times of the year to give back, and especially like you said to your point, considering everything that's gone on this year, it's a little extra meaningful. But um, yeah, I mean, we, we we said early on, right when we took over the organization, that we wanted this to be the community's team, and part of that is being being here to support the community. So we're very happy with with what we've been able to do during this this year here, and, uh, but we'll continue to do it. I mean, it's, this is just something that, like I said, I feel, feel as though if you're in this position, it's the right thing to do, and uh, we'll continue to do it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast, presented by Simply Healthcare. I'm your host, Jordan McPherson, and that was a soundbite from Marlins CEO Derek Jeter at the team's 12th annual Thanksgiving food distribution. Dozens of volunteers, including several members of the Marlins front office, pitchers Pablo Lopez and Dan Castano, as well as alumni Alex Gonzalez and Gabby Sanchez, were outside Marlins Park Monday handing out a thousand meal boxes to the community ahead of Thanksgiving in the latest community outreach effort by the franchise this year. Including Monday, the Marlins have handed out about 700,000 meals to the South Florida community at large. A number Jeter and the Marlins organization takes pride in, especially with the extra outreach that they've done due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Where, where do we begin? I mean, Rocky's done a, a great job. Our executive director of the foundation has done a great job. Uh, like you said, close to over 700,000 meals that we've given out for our home plate meal relief fund. Uh, you know, our partnership with Feed the Pole just last week, 4,000 um, meals to our neighbors that are waiting in line to vote. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's uh, fun. Look, we've gotten a lot of support. Our partners that have, that have supported us through a through a tough year for them as well. Um, but this is this is what we should be doing. This is um, what makes us feel good as an organization. We see a lot of our volunteers that are out here from the organization. They understand it's impactful and they understand it's important. And with Thanksgiving fast approaching, I figured we'd start this episode by looking at a few things that Marlins fans could be thankful for from the team this offseason. First up, the momentum this team has going for them. I mean, even with the 60-game schedule, they finally made it to the playoffs. They made it. They started showing those strides that Derek Jeter and company have been talking about since the rebuild began in late 2017. And with that, they finally start to have expectations outside of the organization that they have to start living up to now. I mean, they have to show that this wasn't just a one-year fling. This wasn't just them sliding into the playoffs because of an expanded field and a shortened regular season. And the Marlins aren't just looking back at the success from 2020 and saying, well, we made it. Here we go. They know that there's still a lot of room left to grow. There's a lot of moves that have to be made. And there's a delicate balance of moves that have to be made as they work to find that balance between winning now and continuing that success and also maintaining that long-term success that they've been trying to build since the ownership group took over before the 2018 season. And that sort of segues us into number two, which is the Marlins minor league system. When Derek Jeter and company took over before the 2018 season, the Marlins were at the bottom of baseball when it came to the farm system. Now, just three years later, they're top five. They had eight of their top 11 prospects made their make their MLB debut last year. Just about everyone in the top half of the system, with the exception of J.J. Bleday and Max Meyer, the last two draft, first-round draft picks, are in the upper echelons of the minor league system. They're double-A, triple-A, or they'll be back in, in the big leagues once 2021 starts up. 
And it's just showing that the importance of that sustainability, knowing that you're going to have be layering that talent throughout the minor league system on top of what you have in the big leagues. I mean, and the Marlins, four, more than 40% of their top prospects, 13 of their top 30 are on the 40-man roster right now. That's just, that's starting to show the next the next generation, the next the next round of players that this group has brought in is getting that much closer to the big leagues. And also, to go into point number three, is going to start making them have to embrace the tough decisions with the 40-man being as stacked as it is and knowing what's still, what's still at play in the minor leagues, what they're going to have to do in free agency in order to to bolster this roster to continue what they did in 2020 and try to make another playoff push in 2021. They're going to have to make some very tough decisions when it comes to how they handle their prospects, how they handle who they have on the big league roster, because they're going to need to, they need to upgrade at several different spots. They still need to improve their bullpen. They still need to find another bat or two that can be an instant improvement on what they have right now. They're going to need to find guys who to have as fallback options in case some of these top prospects don't work out. And that means there could be some movement with some of the top prospects. I mean, if you look at the Marlins' strengths and what they have in terms of just pure depth, they have outfielders galore right now between, I mean, if you just look at the big league level, they've got Corey Dickerson and Starling Marte with one year left. You've got Monte Harrison. You've got Lewis Brinson. You've got Harold Ramirez. You've got Mag Sierra. You've got Jesus Sanchez in the Myers. You have J.J. Bleday who's on the rise. You have Gerard Encarnacion. You have Peyton Burdick. You have Cam Meisner. You have Connor Scott. All of these are either MLB guys or top-tier prospects that if the Marlins end up deciding to pull the trigger, they could easily try to flip one or two of these guys to bring in something else to help with help the organization now. And then, of course, they have the starting pitching depth, but I think at least to me, that would be the last that'd be the last resort of your trading because with all the power arms they have and all of the depth they have, that's been a priority in of theirs since day one. And it's something that is just so valuable in baseball to have reliable, controllable starting pitching that you're gonna want to hold on to that as long as you can. But at the end of the day, it's gonna come down to competition. Marlins are going to be looking through spring training very closely to see who stacks up, who could be a long-term piece, and who could potentially be a trade piece. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. 
Yeah, I mean, we want to continue to make progress. But at the same time, you got to keep in, keep in mind that, that we said we, we had a plan when we got here. We're going to stick with that plan. And we had a lot of young players that, that came up and got an opportunity probably a little bit earlier than anyone thought they would uh, because of the situation and the circumstances that we were dealing with. And we're going to continue to give those kids an opportunity to play. Um, that's what we said from day one. We built our minor league system and gets to a point where you have to find out uh, you know, who's going to be here for the long run. And um, So we're going to stick to the plan that we have in place and that's, that's having patience with our players. But we, we need to continue to make progress. Our guys need to continue to get better year in and year out. And to close out this week's episode, we're going to let Derek Jeter give us an update on how general manager Kim Ang's first week on the job has gone, as well as some updates on what's in store for the club this offseason. Ang has spent the past week familiarizing herself with just about every nook and cranny of the franchise, something Jeter had to do just three years ago when he came on as CEO. Here's what he had to say. Well, I mean, for personally, the, the, the signing of Kim, I've, I've obviously had a long history. I've known Kim for a long time. And, uh, you know, her resume speaks for herself. I mean, she's someone that's done everything that she can do in this game. And, and she was the perfect fit for where we are as an organization. We couldn't be happier to have her. Um, you know, she's, it's going to take her a little bit of time to get up to speed with the organization. The same way it took me some time to get up to speed with the organization when we took over. So uh, we're excited that she's a part of our team now. And, and we're looking forward to having a lot more success throughout the years. Um, she has a lot of work to do, and uh, you know, she's going through her orientation, so to speak. Now. Yeah, it, well, I mean, look, it was apparent after we had a couple of conversations. Uh, you know, Kim was the first person I reached out to. She's, she's um, we had a couple of conversations. I knew it was going to be a good fit for us. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, if she wanted to, you know, get back into, uh, you know, working for an organization. You know, she, she hasn't been with an organization for a few years now, but she was excited at the opportunity, and, and we couldn't be more excited as an organization. It's, a, it's information overload is what it is, and I'm saying it from experience because, you know, we took over, I think it was December 2nd of 2017, and I, frankly, I didn't know much about the organization. We knew about a few of the players at the major league level. I didn't know what we had at the minor league level, and I think it's the same thing for Kim. And, you know, she gets to an organization, you can learn from afar, but ultimately, you have, to, you have to have the conversations with, you know, our scouting department, our player development department, our analytics department, and there's a learning curve. But uh, that's why we've built up a, a very good baseball operations department, and everyone's here to help because, um, you know, we make decisions, we make it in a collaborative manner, and, um, you know, Kim obviously is, is trying to get up to speed as quick as she can, but we're here to help her. How much do you think of your experience of going through something similar that three years ago will help with easing that learning curve for her? I hope it does. I like to think she, she's uh, gotten to a situation where it's, it's, it's a much stronger organization than when maybe when we got here three years ago. So she's got a little bit of a head start. Uh, um, but everyone still has a job to do. Uh, you're going to have the conversations. You're going to have the, you know, when you're reaching out to other teams and seeing what they're doing, what their needs are. You're going to touch base with free agents. You're going to touch base with your own players. But it is going to be different. You know, and, and I don't know how it's going to play out, but uh, I don't think it takes away from any of the excitement. I, I know when you have the winter meetings, everyone's in one place at one time, so there's a lot of action, a lot of things that are going on. But I don't think that changes. We always look, we always look to, to see how we can improve as a team. At the same time, like I said before, you, you have to be careful because you know we built up our system. We have a lot of a lot of players that are at the top level of the minor leagues. 
and they're knocking on the door. They're going to be ready. Who knows when they're going to be ready? But one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to block them, and you don't want to you know block their development, and give them their opportunity to come and play at the major level. So having said that, you do sit down and say, look, how are we going to get better? And uh, we need to get better. I mean, I know we had a little bit of success here in 2020, but uh, by no stretch of the imagination, are we really want to be? And that's going to do it for this episode of Fish Bites, presented by Simply Healthcare. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back later this offseason as more news surfaces.